<laughs> hey there, Yvonne Guibert here, coming at you from Tampa, Florida. Hey there, Rafael Gonzalez here, also in Tampa. And we are your co-hosts for Deconstructing Comp, a podcast about workers' compensation. And today, we are so excited to have Bill Minnick. Right, Ralph? Yeah, so excited to talk to Bill. Bill is a, an attorney in Texas. And I mean, you talk about somebody that I have known for a long time, been reading his work for a long time, someone that always makes me think outside the box. Um, he has been a leader, not just in Texas, but on a national basis on sort of options to the normal or regular workers' compensation systems that we've known, you know, pretty much and pretty well throughout time. So somebody that I respect immensely, really, really looking forward to talking to him. Me too. And, you know, he's, uh, in addition to being an attorney, he's risk management consultant, and many know him as the pioneer of Texas injury benefit programs. Uh, some people call that opt-out. Um, definitely a deep thinker. And boy, it is a really fascinating episode. So I'm excited to dig in with Bill Minnick. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go do it. Okay, vamanos. Vamanos. We are so excited for our guest today. We have Bill Minnick, who is a prominent individual in the workers' comp space for many reasons. Hi, Bill. How are you? Hello, Yvonne and Raphael. Just doing great. Thank you for having me today. Well, thank you for joining us. So let me do a little bit of my LinkedIn stalking uh, homework here. <laughs> you are you are an attorney. You are known as a risk management consultant, pioneer of Texas injury benefit programs. You, uh, I believe, co-founded or, or founded Partner Source, who's the leading consulting firm for Texas opt-out options for workers' compensation. What did I miss? Well... Great family. <laughs> Love my family. And, uh, you know, I started out as a tax lawyer and found pretty quick that was uh, a lot more difficult and a lot less interesting than focusing on injured workers. And, uh, it's just been a great blessing to have the opportunity to be part of the workers' comp industry now for 30, 33 years. 30 something years. <laughs> Good. Awesome. So let's start off with, we always do this with all of our guests, share something with us and our listeners that made you laugh out loud recently. <laughs> the funniest thing, the hardest I've laughed in a long time was I was watching an awesome movie uh, with my, one of my sons called The Short Game. The Short Game is about the seven and eight year old world championship of golf. Uh, happens every year. It's a PGA type big time golf tournament for little kids. And uh, it's a, not only amazing to see how good these kids are, but also uh, the way their parents engage and, and uh, uh, their mix of little kid traits and their uh, big grown up super competitive traits. There's this one scene where a father from South Africa is talking about, you know, we have to be careful uh, because the, the parents are there on the course with their kids. And it says, we have to be careful. You know, he's, he's, he's standing behind his son and he's touching his son's shoulders. So we, we have to be careful not to transmit uh, our anxiety 
uh, onto our our son, uh, you know, our daughter. We have to be, you know, uh, very calm and collected. And then it switches to his son hitting a tee shot, which goes off and the parent says, oh, excellent. <laughs> we laughed so hard about that because it was, it was so uh, uh, emblematic of the relationship that I had with my son when he was playing baseball. And you're in the stands trying to cheer and be positive, especially when they're little kids. Uh, but you just want to tear your head out <laughs> and scream sometimes. <laughs> they caught it perfectly in that movie. Highly recommend that. Oh, wow. We'll have, to, we'll have to watch that one because my husband loves golf. We've all been there, though, as parents. You know, you try to stay calm and then something like that happens. And, ah! yeah. <laughs> the kids are just the cutest <laughs> and amazing competitors. Uh, that's fun. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we will switch the conversation now to talking about uh, workers' compensation. But we're going to start off by asking you, Bill, Share with us uh, a little summary of your educational background. What did you always want to become an attorney? How did you start? How did what did you want to study when you when you first started college? I knew I wanted to be an attorney, and I thought that that meant political science. Took an economics class and really liked that. So I want to get an economics degree. I went to the economics professor. She said, well, I'm sorry to tell you this. We just stopped our economics degree, but the degree that has the most economics is finance. So I went into finance because she was such an awesome uh, professor and influence on me. Got my finance degree, went to law school, ended up focusing on tax uh, during uh, most of my specialty studies in law school. And then after beginning the practice of law in 1985, um, went to night school for four and a half years to get a master of laws in taxation. So I was on this, uh, you know, big law firm, uh, tax law track, but um, a couple of the senior partners walked into my office in uh, 1989 and said, hey, we got clients that are calling us saying that they can't afford workers' comp. They're going to go out of business if they have to pay their workers' comp this year. And we actually began to see companies go out of business because they couldn't afford that important insurance coverage, which was just going through the roof. And so we started brainstorming about, well, how, how would you take care of injured workers if it's not in workers' comp? And realized that the Texas statute was elective. And we were doing a ton of, I was in the employee benefits section of the, tra- of the tax group. And so we're doing a ton of group health and cafeteria plans, 401k plans, all kinds of benefits. And started thinking about, well, if we pay medical coverage and lost wages and death and dismemberment outside of workers' comp system, that's an ERISA plan. That's just like any other group health plan. You have to have excellent employee communications. There's fiduciary standards, et cetera. So we developed the first uh, injury benefit plan uh, uh, subject to ERISA. And um, that was just uh, uh, super fun, much more uh, fun than trying to find a needle in a haystack like being a tax lawyer. And uh we started out just focused on, you know, we got to we got to take care of these people, but we got to save money. Uh, monetary savings was like the main goal, especially in an environment where you could get sued for negligence liability. How do we deliver benefits, but also have this liability exposure? What does that what does that cause you to do uh, in the context of the design and the delivery of benefits when you know that the employee can sue you with a very low threshold of liability exposure? 
So we muddled our way through that and, and several different uh, generations of plan designs and, and defense strategies. And uh, by the mid, um, uh, I said about, about 2000, 2005, we really started hitting our stride. Um, the workers' comp market had gotten better in the 90s. We're in the booming economy of uh, the internet uh, and dot-com com bubble. But by year 2001, 2002, uh, things got tough again. And a buck meant a buck. And, and big companies all around the country that were operating in Texas said, hey, it looks like there's an option to workers' comp, which was going through the roof again on them uh, in the early 2000s. And it looks like the, these guys have been doing this for over a decade. Let's check it out. And so at that point, uh, it really began to take off. And, and uh, our claim processes, um, our um, fiduciary uh, attentiveness, um, as well as our employee communications just really took off and began to mature. And we began to measure the outcomes more objectively. And, and that's when uh, a lot of companies, you know, after doing that for another decade, really started putting um, an emphasis on, hey, we got to do this in other states. So that's how I got into this business. Um, never intended to be part of the workers' comp environment, but I uh, was drawn into it in that conversation with the big law firm partners in 89 and, and uh, I've just loved it ever since. I've loved uh, trying to find a better way to take care of folks and, and um, measure it and see how we can improve workers' comp systems at the same time. Okay, so let me unpack that a little bit. So you in college, you studied finance and then focused on tax law. You started practicing law focused on tax law, right? And while yeah. you were doing that, uh, that's when the workers' comp, uh, you started to navigate towards workers' comp because of a need in Texas, because companies were going out of business based on the coverage there. So tell us about, walk us through what that means. For folks that are not familiar with Texas, and how um, strange Texas is with, with respect to workers' compensation, amongst other things. But walk us through real, real quickly, what does that mean to people that don't know Texas? Like what's going on in Texas and what, what is, um, it's opting out. A lot of people refer to it as opting out of workers' comp. So just walk us through that real quickly. Well, uh, let me combine uh, kind of like the, that historical perspective with what it is today. Um, so, uh, in a nutshell, uh, when an employer does not have workers' compensation insurance in Texas, the employer can be sued by an injured worker who says that it was your fault that I got hurt. I was the employer's fault. And the threshold of proof is very low because the employer can't defend itself saying that the employee assumed the risk of the injury or that a fellow employee caused the injury. Um, so, um, in that environment, uh, even the most slacker employer that has any sense is going to say, if I have an injured worker, I need to take care of them because I don't want to be sued for actual punitive damages uh, and lose my business that way. So um, an insurance market developed that would pay those medical benefits and that would pay lost wages and death and dismemberment benefits for an employer who sets up an injury benefit program outside of the workers' comp system. Uh, often called an occupational accident product. And uh, you actually see the same type of benefits delivery in several other pockets around the country. For example, a Wyoming employer 
that is not an extra hazardous employer can choose to have an injury benefit plan instead of workers' comp. A Tennessee governmental entity, most people don't know this, most governments in Tennessee don't have workers' comp. They set up an injury benefit plan. Uh, state universities in Alabama, uh, they also set up injury benefit plans instead of workers' comp. So it's, it's there's these little pockets, also truckers, you know, uh, you see a lot of occupational accident coverage. There's these pockets of um, alternatives to workers' comp around the country, but Texas is the place where every private employer has that option. And Texas being such a large and continually growing state uh, has fueled uh, the development and maturation of, of this. It, it's an ecosystem of providers like workers' comp, but it's also uh, addresses all, all the major components of a workers' comp system. Um, at least most of them, the key ones like uh, the commitment to benefits uh, in writing. Uh, and actually, ERISA requires a lot of communication to employees, like you would on a group health or a retirement plan. There's got to be a summary plan description. Uh, there are fiduciary protections. So uh, once the employer puts in writing what they're going to do for the employees, they have to do it. And they can't just say, well, you know, I don't like you, injured worker, or I'm concerned about the liability claim, so I'm not going to pay the benefits. The fiduciary standards um, are significant in this environment, and the U.S. Department of Labor has really uh, focused on those fiduciary standards in the Texas Injury Benefit Plan environment, uh, particularly between 2015 and the year 2000. They did a five-year uh, investigation of uh, this industry. And um, that was largely, uh, if not exclusively, driven by a series you may recall on uh, uh, the demolition of workers' comp. <laughs> uh, kind of like the podcast name, only it was an NPR and ProPublica series that attacked workers' comp systems nationwide, and they attacked the Texas injury benefit system. And the DOL uh, set a lot of things about workers' comp and, and how they wanted to get involved, really trying to federalize workers' comp. They weren't able to do that, but they did have jurisdiction over these Texas programs. So they jumped in with both feet and, and took us to task pretty hard through a series of investigations. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, found nothing uh, that we were doing uh, inappropriate, uh, other than their concern about the immediate injury reporting requirement. And so, uh, the, the good thing that came out of those investigations uh, was the focus on how do we make sure that if you're going to shorten the length of time an employee has to report a claim, motivated by the idea that the faster you find out about the injury, the faster you get medical care, the better outcomes, and we've proven that. But if we're going to do that, we have to have good cause exception, uh, a good cause exception for that immediate requirement. So how do you inform the employee about the good cause exception? What does it look like? What are examples of it? And so we've made dramatic uh, progress over the last five years in improving that. That's, that's one example. <laughs> <laughs> the bigger thing that I was, uh, was going to mention is that when we talk about an alternative to workers' comp uh, today in Texas, we don't talk about opt-out. Uh, opt-out is um, 
is an employer that drops workers or doesn't purchase workers' comp insurance and then doesn't do anything for their employees. And there's a fair number of Texas companies that do that. There's a fair number of companies that do that in every state in the United States, sure. in spite of the mandatory system. But responsible Texas employers who want to establish a quality injury benefit plan will get the QCARE designation. QCARE.org is a designation that uh, is voluntary, that an employer that sponsors an injury benefit plan can receive if it satisfies 10 key requirements. So that's the other thing that's, that's evolved dramatically over the past seven years. Since, um, you know, just you, you'll see how all this stuff is, is interrelated, where uh, the success of these injury benefit programs was so significant with dozens and dozens of Fortune 500 companies from around the country operating in the state of Texas, as well as small companies. Most of these companies that have injury benefit plans are small companies. But it was so successful that they wanted to start spreading it to other states. So we began that process with Oklahoma, the option passed, and then bills were introduced in Tennessee, South Carolina, and started popping up in Florida, Arkansas, and elsewhere. That period of time and that unrest about uh, federal intervention and the prospect of opt-out coming to a state near you uh, created these huge policy debates about how do we take care of injured workers? What, what are the key features of that? Um, from that debate and from the media attacks, uh, the uh, opt-out initiative, if you will, pulled back to the fort and says, this is crazy. Uh, these... <laughs> The proponents of injury benefit plans uh, were against the plaintiff attorneys, the defense attorneys, the state regulators, the federal regulators, the local and national media, everybody, including workers' comp carriers, all lined up against to fight any alternative to workers' comp. And a lot of public policy discussion about how it works, how it doesn't work, we said, all right, time out. Pull back to, to Texas. Let's focus on what did we hear? I, you know, in retrospect, I'd say three quarters of this, the things we heard uh, were, were incorrect. And we had to prove it, though, through things like a Stanford University and a University of Illinois study, uh, which are all online at uh, uh, AROC.org. AROC was the, is, the, is the trade group that represents employers that have an injury benefit plan, ARAWC.org. So there you'll see the Stanford University of Illinois studies. The other thing we did was to develop this QCARE certification. And, and by doing that, we focused on the other quarter of those policy objections and arguments that, that hey, you know, that's a good idea. We got to fix that. And the good cause exception to immediate injury reporting is an example of that. And, and, and the, the really, really uh, expanding on that trying to figure out what does that mean in a, the context of a, a benefit plan document, employee communications, and what the adjuster says and does and how they document the file. Um, so take a look sometime at the 10 requirements of QCARE at QCARE.org, and uh, hopefully you'll see that um, this environment has matured dramatically uh, in part because of those tough public policy debates and the full-blown optics and, uh, you know, exactly what needs to continue 
going forward in uh, trying to determine how to improve workers' comp systems? Well, my goodness, thank you for that. Uh, that was a deep dive in a historical uh, overview of what's been going on in Texas and what you've been very involved with. And I, this is how I came to know you. Um, we have a mutual Sorry, friend. Yvonne, if you just asked me what time it was, I don't know how to build a clock. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how I came to know you. Um, you and David DePaulo used to have um, lengthy discussions. We'll put it at that, um, both in person and through his blog. And that's how I met you. We sat down to lunch, I want to say, in uh, Arizona um, at one of the conferences. And uh, you guys were having a conversation. But anyway, thank you. That For anybody that doesn't understand Texas workers' compensation, that was a really good overview. Well, thank you. I, I love David DePaulo dearly. Uh, David and I both went to Pepperdine Law School, but we didn't meet until we were both out of law school. Oh, and, uh, such a such a joy. Uh, if he wasn't uh, touting uh, um, how injury benefit plans were the best thing since sliced bread, he was hammering us over how awful it was. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Uh, he, he gave praise where where praise was uh, deserved and he brought the heat where heat was needed. Yeah, and it was always keeping us on our toes and thinking forward, and to have uh, the Comp Laudy uh, event uh, honoring what's good in workers' comp and promoting the interests of injured workers is such a beautiful thing and um, uh, respects his legacy. Oh, thanks, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give uh, listeners, yes, Mr. Gonzalez is still here. And um, <laughs> I know that his wheels are spinning. So Ralph, I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask Bill a question before we wrap it up. Um, thanks, Yvonne. <clears throat> and probably like you, gosh, I've, I've known Bill now for a long time. And I've known you, Bill, in this space, right? You, you were the one um, who brought this conversation to the nation, if you will. And I know that way before I knew you, you had been doing this work and you had been leading this, um, you know, this program, this project, uh, but you brought it to our attention and then it became a national conversation. Um, and, and that would be my question is, hearing everything you've given us, kind of the historical perspective, why hasn't these types of injury benefit plans, sort of a, a secondary option to deliver injured workers indemnity and medical benefits. Why hasn't that picked up in other states to the tune that it has picked up in Texas? Give, give me your thoughts on that, please. Well, um, I think the main reason, Raphael, is workers' comp, as you know, is, is complicated. Um, and there are a variety of um, policy issues related to the sustainability of uh, an insurance marketplace and appropriate regulation and uh, the competing interests uh, among a lot of different uh, quote stakeholders and who, who even consider to be stakeholders. And that too, uh, we're in a materially different place today than we were 
seven years ago when that debate was particularly hot, six, seven years ago. Uh, you know, things that we uh, would argue about from a public policy perspective on what's in the best interest of the injured worker were largely, uh, 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 you know, based on uh, some combination of rhetoric and history and scare tactic and tradition and hyperbole and speculation. Uh, but and we could debate about those things all day long and both people would sound very reasonable. And the easiest thing to do is, well, let's just leave it the way it is. You know, an employer's attention has, you know, it, it will continue to wax and wane about the significance of workers' comp as a priority. But what is changing is that policy debates that have historically been rooted in what I feel is the right thing for the industry or for injured workers now more uh, uh, subject to data analysis. Uh, what does the data say? You know, one thing, the biggest thing that uh, uh, parallel that grew out of the COVID uh, uh, pandemic over the last two years is people talking about, well, what's the science? What does the data say? And the development of artificial intelligence and machine learning are advancing so rapidly and the increasing focus of employers uh, and other interest groups on what does the data say is going to revive at some point uh, this discussion about basic system constructs. Um, it, it's going to put a spotlight eventually, you know, the hundreds of millions of dollars are going into research today on how the workers' comp systems perform. And comparisons are made in a variety of different ways by NCCI and WCRI and others. Uh, quality research is being performed, but there's not a lot of attention within that research on, well, where are injured workers getting the best deal? <laughs> where do we see fewer disabilities, shorter periods of disability? Uh, where do we see less litigation and why? What, what, where is that combination of lowest costs and best outcomes for injured workers? What are the system features that support that? Well, the data is available and uh, sooner or later, people embedded in the system or external to the system will will bring that forward. I think it's already coming forward. And uh, we'll see the, the current um, uh, amazing things that are being done uh, with data and artificial intelligence focused on uh, largely on reducing transaction costs and uh, balancing adjuster caseloads and things that are really internal to the operating efficiency of insurance carriers that's going to continue to mature to, uh, again, how can we get better outcomes for the injured worker? If we can't do what we know the data says, we'll get a better outcome, why not? Is, that a, is, that a, is there a legal impediment? Well, should that law be changed? Uh, do we see examples in other states uh, where features of the law are driving that better change that we want? So uh, I think we're in an entirely different uh, era, uh, and we've moved through a first uh, generation of uh, artificial intelligence over the past, uh, past three years, particularly. And if you look at the products that are out there focused on predictive analytics, the, the things they can do in addressing uh, 
transactional costs, which really, you know, are focused on making carriers and service providers more profitable, the, but the, the, they're also identifying the difficult claims earlier and the best physicians earlier and how do we get, how do we get the claim on track faster? Uh, that's going to move from a predictive analytics environment to uh, actually uh, combining both artificial intelligence and human intelligence at a, a whole new level. Uh, where uh, the combination of human judgment, medical judgment, and that data is, is a very powerful thing. And uh, the ability of uh, machine learning to not just inform, but increasingly uh, begin to execute uh, on things that drive better outcomes, drive faster delivery of benefits and, and allow comp systems to pay better benefits. You know, we gotta decide as an industry, what do we value most? You know, I hear a lot of talk uh, among commentators and others about the workers comp system is really healthy. But those statements are usually founded in the profitability of the insurance markets. If they say the work comp system is really healthy, you know, we're doing great. Well, yeah, the carriers are killing it, but that's not the primary stakeholder, right? Let's talk about the injured worker. Are they doing great? Uh, that shift is, is coming and, and data is going to change the, the landscape on these policy debates. And uh, it's gonna be an exciting 10 years ahead. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that, Bill. Uh, Raphael and I were just, um, well, he was part of the conversation. I was listening. But I've seen over the last couple of months, again, the topic of does our system do harm start to come up a lot more often again. Yes, so. totally blew me away at the WCI conference. Yeah. Never have we had industry leaders, super prominent, you know, beloved uh, folks uh, talking about how can we do better mm -hmm. instead of, you know, rewind seven years ago, there's two major threats, federalization and opt out. Right. <laughs> like protect, raise the shields. Now it's like, now it's introspection. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that's, that brings me right back to our friend, David DePaulo and something you already mentioned, but, um, Thank you, Bill. I mean, Raphael and I say this a lot on every, almost on every uh, episode we do, but I know we could tape content with you for probably two full days and still not be done. So this has been really, really informative and, and interesting. Around and do that with you guys. Yeah, but I want to bring it back to David DePaulo. That was David's thinking when he launched the Comp Laude Awards. And it's about the same time frame, if my math is right in my head. Um, it was during that time frame when you said, you know, there's two threats, federalization of workers' compensation or opting out. And uh, it was 2014. And I met him in May of that year. And we decided he, you know, he had already started a, a, an event that he wanted to take national. And that was how the Comp Laude Awards were, were uh, born, so to speak. So Talk to us a little bit about that. You've been on the advisory board for some years now. So what are your thoughts on Comp Laude and how that fits into what we've been talking about? Well, um, 
I think it started out, um, you know, like you said, it was in that defensive and defensive period where people were saying, wait a second, there's a lot of, you know, NPR and ProPublica are going nuts on us. Uh, uh, and a lot of, you know, we'll say some of it was justified. A lot of it was not. And David stood up and said, hey, let's talk about what's good in workers' comp. Let's celebrate that. Um, let's lift up the injured worker. And to have the opportunity to be uh, one of the award judges uh, for Comp Laude for six or seven years uh, and working with an incredible team that, that you and Kristen assembled uh, to uh, organize uh, that, that event has just been such a blessing. Um, so Comp Laude, uh, to me, has been uh, a break from uh, the noise and the debates and the complexity. And let's just come together for a couple of days and uh, celebrate and talk about the good stuff and uh, share ideas on how to make it better. And let, uh, let, let key players with, with injured workers, physicians, attorneys, whoever, all these industry players, let's think about who's really uh, worthy of praise and, and uh, give them that honor. Um, it's just been really cool. Well, thank you, Bill, for being a part of it. And that you're right. I remember walking shoulder to shoulder with David DiPaolo as people blasted him about your, you what? You want to give an award to injured workers? What the hell are you thinking about? What is that about? <laughs> and we had to explain that. And now it's become, I feel, one of the most coveted pieces of the Comp Laude Awards. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. I think it's the most coveted award in the industry. Well, thank you. <laughs> what else are you up to, Bill? So I know you recently announced retirement. What does that mean for you? Well, uh, retirement uh, is a is an odd word. Uh, it's hard to wrap your head around and means different things to different people. For me, it was... Uh, the right time to uh, step away from uh, partner source and uh, my responsibilities with our trade group, uh, AROC. Um, the QCARE designation had been completed. The DOL investigations were resolved. Uh, the industry uh, is in good shape. Partner source is doing great. Um, I felt like I need, it was the right time for me to retire. And for about two weeks, that meant boating and fishing and golfing. Uh, I realized pretty quick, I don't think I can do this every day. <laughs> I've, had this, um, I've had this strong interest uh, for three years now in what is happening with uh, the data and uh, how is that going to impact the industry? And so I'm leaning into uh, leaning into that and uh, medical management process improvement, and uh, just thinking about how can we find out about significant claims faster? How can we use all of the available technology to uh, put in front of the decision maker things that have historically taken weeks or months uh, to uh, gather? that we should be able to gather almost instantaneous, instantaneously for better decision-making and then um, 
based on uh, all that better information faster, how can we make better decisions? And that combination of artificial intelligence and human intelligence uh, has got my attention. Well, that's a lot. And I'm doesn't doing a little bit. Doesn't sound like better than ever. Does it? <laughs> I haven't given up all those other uh, passions for the first two weeks. And I, I hope to lean into those more this year, but uh, uh, this is a long game. <laughs> uh, I've got a lot, uh, a lot of years left and hope to continue to contribute to this industry and um, very much uh, value my relationship with you guys. And with so many uh, good friends around the, around the country and look forward to what the Lord has in store for us. Awesome. Well, I'm going to give the last question to Raphael. Bill, man, I, um, I admire you. I respect you. The, the more time I've spent with you over the years, the more that I have learned from you, um, you are really one of our top leaders in our industry. You are so incredibly bright, intelligent, and you have such an incredible understanding of different facets of our industry that a lot of us maybe didn't even realize were there as part of this very intricate and, and very diverse and very complicated world that we live in in workers' compensation. So I, I marvel, always have, continue today, right, as I listen to you. And I mean, I have taken two pages of notes through the conversation today, because I really marvel at your, your comprehension of all of the different components of, um, of this workers' compensation law, if you will, around the country. Um, well, thank you, Rafael. My pleasure. You've earned it. Um, so I, I'm, I know what your leadership has meant to me. I know what you've brought to the table, and you've opened my eyes to things that maybe I didn't realize, fully, completely realized before. What do you think is your, you know, your input into our industry? You know, what are you proudest of? What, what's the thing that for you, you say, you know, that's my greatest work. That's what I've contributed to this industry. What are your thoughts on that? Challenging people to think about uh, competition. Um, challenging people to think about how can we do things, uh, if not a little bit, uh, if, if not dramatically differently, uh, how about a little bit differently? Uh, it's like uh, uh, how you eat an elephant uh, one bite at a time. Uh, we started out, uh, you know, with a very uh, uh, acrimonious debate about competition, but uh, I think the good, the primary good that came out of that was just getting people a little uncomfortable every now and then is a good thing and think about how we can do things better. And I think the workers comp industry has definitely been focused on how to do things better over the past five, seven years. And then the Q care designation, I'm very, um, very gratified to see uh, uh, the maturation of the injury benefit environment and how we objectively address uh, some unwarranted uh, criticisms, but proactively and I think effectively, fairly effectively, it's, gonna, it's gotta keep improving. Um, 
but more more effectively developing uh, that competitive alternative. And it's really a it's a hybrid group health work comp model. And everybody knows we got to perform more like workers comp. I mean, more like group health. Uh, group health is getting dramatically better outcomes by any measure than workers comp. So thinking about that, looking to the Texas example, and you don't have to mirror it, but study it, get uncomfortable about it, be willing to look at uh, a different construct because there's 50 plus workers comp systems around this country and they can't all be doing an outstanding job. Which ones are doing better and why? Uh, just stir the pot. <laughs> My greatest contribution, hopefully, is just getting people to think and uh, challenging them and uh, want to do that in a way that's respectful and productive. That's great. That's great. I love that. I love that. To, to some degree, Bill, I've, um, you know, having brought this social determinants of health conversation, which I have been following for 30 years in that group health world to comp, that's ex my reasoning exactly. Like there are better models out there. Why aren't we learning from that? Why aren't we borrowing of that into our equation to provide a, a better result to our injured workers? So I, I, man, I hear you. I get goosebumps because I am, I am there. <laughs> well, you've been a huge proponent and advanced it materially the past two years. Yeah. It's a new ball game. We're asking different questions in that first conversation with the injured worker. Yeah. Because of that focus on social determinants of health. <laughs> This has been a fascinating conversation. I, I already know what we're going to call it. Um, you, we started off talking about the short game. You mentioned the long game. So <laughs> there you have it. And um, I lied. I, I am going to ask you one last question. Bill, um, let's wrap the episode by, I want you to share something that we don't know about you. Mm. Well, I like to think I'm completely transparent and open book. Uh, but I'd be lying if I said, you know, everything about me. <laughs> I, remember I, told, I told Raphael one time that I, I love uh, electronic dance music, particularly uh, uh, electronic uh, disco. You're kidding. Now, I don't dance worth a darn, uh, but that's a great thing about it. You, you combine high tech uh, mix with disco and you don't have to know what you're doing. <laughs> it's more like new wave or punk oh wow <laughs> all right i mean i mean bill minnick <laughs> i know right i know i have a visual in my head i'm gonna have to work hard to get that out but it's fun <laughs> sorry disco ball and some good lights and make it happen at Compton. john travolta <laughs> i got a dj for you to hire for huntington beach in october Awesome. Let's do it. Let's do it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> uh, this has been so much fun, Bill. Thank you so much for sharing time with us today and uh, sharing a little bit about your, your take on workers' compensation. It's been really fun and informative. Yeah. It has been fun. I appreciate you guys. Appreciate your friendship and the impact you're having on the industry. It's a great thing. Thank you so much. All right. So I hope to see you soon. 
Hey, Raphael, that was so much fun, wasn't it? Oh my gosh, Yvonne, I love it. I just love it. It's not only informative, engaging, but a lot of fun. And man, are we laughing it up, aren't we? <laughs> oh my gosh, we are really having a good time. Uh, all of our guests have been so just willing to share fun times, fun moments, and it is it is a lot of fun. It's really exciting. But we have a message to share with our listeners. What is it? Make sure you find us out there. You know, we are everywhere, aren't we? Deconstructing comp. Where can they find us, Yvonne? They can find us on Twitter at Deconstruct Comp. And you can find us also on either Raphael's LinkedIn profile or my own, Yvonne Guibert. But please find us on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us, share it with friends. Uh, the more the merrier. We're really having a good time and we can't wait to um, bring you our next episode. So until then, hasta luego. Hasta luego, Yvonne.